Well, we are coming to the end of another year, and we are about to begin another new year. 2019 is almost over. 2020 is about to begin. And as we think back on 2019, this last year, a lot's happened for all of us here. I want us to be honest about who we have been and what we have done this last year. If your last year could be summed up in a few sentences, a few words, what would it read like? I see, I see some, some of you kind of mummering what it would, what it would look like. And as you anticipate 2020, if you were to describe in a few sentences or a few key words, what would you want it to say about you in 2020? But first, we need to start with the standard, who is God? And so we're going to be looking at a few verses where God describes himself powerfully. And let's compare and more than likely contrast ourselves with how God describes himself. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 34, the second book of the Bible, kids, if you don't know. Exodus 34. What's the setting here? Let me tell you, it was a very intense and scary situation. God has delivered his people from Egypt, and they're heading to the promised land. So far, sounds good, right? The Lord brings them to Mount Sinai, and no man or animal was allowed to even touch the mountain, or else they would be put to death. Before he gives the Ten Commandments, the mount was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. Anyone been through an earthquake before? A little bit in Indiana? So that, so that it almost doesn't even qualify. You've been through an earthquake? Was it scary? When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder or a voice or literally, the Hebrew says, with a sound. You almost couldn't even put it into words. You ever been sleeping peacefully at night? Sleeping. Boom! You like thunder at night? We've had several kids who have been horrified. One daughter in particular hated thunderstorm. It didn't matter if I walked out on the front porch during a thunderstorm and was holding her. He sees just lightning and thunder. It didn't matter. Horrified. And who can blame them? The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. God then gave Moses the first two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. The tablets were God's work, and the writing 
was God's writing engraved on the tablets. So in our passage here, this is a second set of stone tablets. What happened to the first tablets? That's exactly right. Moses crushed them when he saw the people worshiping the golden calf. When Moses came down the mountain with the first tablets, the people, that is God's people, were engaged in gross sin. These weren't the next door pagans. These weren't the unbelieving co-workers you have. These were God's people, people like you and me. Worshiping an idol and committing very wicked sins. Kids, have you ever seen your father or mother draw themselves up to their full height and get really intense and yell at you? You ever seen that? Maybe too often at home, Moses? Well, that's how Moses was. But he was that way with everybody. The men, the women... And they were about to get what was coming to them. Moses, filled with righteous indignation, he was so angry, he took the two tablets and shattered them on the rock. What did Moses do with that golden calf idol? Go ahead, Bible scholar. You've got good answers. Go ahead. That's exactly right. I mean, it's not a laughing matter, but I'm just impressed that you know it. He burned it with fire. He ground it to powder. He scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. So that's the context as we come to our passage here this morning. If you'll please stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. Exodus 34, verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, And proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, 
and take us as your own possession. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Remember the question I asked you. 2019, a few words, a few sentences about your life this last year. Or as you anticipate 2020, what you would want to, what you would want it to say. Well, this is how God declares himself to Moses and to his people. And how does it begin? The Lord, judgmental and furiously wrathful against sin. How does it begin? The Lord is compassionate and gracious. That's not opposed to him showing us what we've done. Moses had shattered the tablets, which you shattered. I find that a fascinating detail, just to remind him. Matthew Henry wrote about this, you know, perfect Puritan thinking here. The first tablets God cut out of stone, and God wrote on them. This time, Moses had to cut out the tablets himself. But God still wrote on them. And so it is with all of God's word. The prophets and the apostles, they may have cut out, cut out the tablets they wrote on, in a sense, the parchments. But all of the writing is God's writing. He used men as his ministers to write his own word. Also, in his mercy and kindness, God gives us his law. And what do we do? We break it. And so what does God do? He gives us his law and his word again. And in the new covenant, where does God write his law, kids? In the new covenant, he writes his law on our hearts. In our passage, God tells Moses to be ready by morning. So Moses cut two stone tablets and he rose up early in the morning. Anyone like the morning here? Anyone crazy like me like the morning? Yeah? Anyone night owl? Not so much of a, not so much of a morning person? Moses went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. So friends, in 2020, whether you're an early bird or a night owl, rise up in the morning. But it was a late night last night, right? The game was on last night. We had the Buckeyes playing. Well, football season's coming to an end. The games are always on. The movies are always on. We can always find reasons to stay up late. In 2020, let's be disciplined and devoted to God's Word as devoted as we are to our hobbies and our entertainment. This year, get your sleep, Rise up in the morning and open God's word. Even you young people, young and old, rise up, read God's word, and pray as Moses prays. And the Lord will reveal himself to you in his word. You kids learning how to read, read God's word. And as you read, kids, ask your dad and mom all kinds of good, interesting questions. Dads and moms, you're welcome. 
So now we get to the point that I want to spend our time on this morning. Moses humbled himself. He rose early. He met with the Lord. And the Lord descends to Moses. The Lord condescends and meets with his servant. And this is a meeting for the ages. So a little more context. In Exodus 33, it's very intimate. Moses is begging. Moses is pleading with God to be with his people. He's asking for God's presence to be with them. God said he would do this thing since Moses had found favor in his sight. Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. While my glory is passing by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is what God tells Moses. And so now we come to verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of him, in front of Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. The Lord, and unless you've already forgotten it, he repeats it, the Lord God. He makes sure Moses knows who he's dealing with. He's dealing with his maker. This is how God describes himself. Like with Moses at the burning bush, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. We can't say that about ourselves. God does. I am has sent me to you. This is who is meeting with Moses. Jehovah, the Lord, the strong, the almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. What is he like? What is God like? As described here, he is first compassionate. Think this last year. Could you be described as compassionate? Well, maybe not so much. Compassionate and gracious? Well, maybe only when it was convenient for me. I was maybe one or other, rarely both of those things. Slow to anger. That's about as as difficult as it gets for me sometimes. Now that may not be you, but one of my besetting sins is exposed there. How would you be described comparing and contrasting yourself with this? God is gracious He is favorable toward us, particularly when we do not deserve it. 
He is slow to anger. Kids, slow to anger. Slow. Long-suffering. Abounding in both loving-kindness and truth. Not merely loving and not merely true. Abounding in it. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, yet, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So some of us here tend to be more compassionate more gracious, more slow to anger. Some of us tend more toward not leaving the guilty unpunished. You should know which one you are. There's some hurrahs out there. Either way, what you all need to remember is this. These all describe the Lord. It's not like one describes more. They all describe Him at the same time. Even when his wrath is poured out, he is still compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. God was even gracious to the enemy nations that surrounded his people. When God spelled out his plan to Abram, telling him they'll be enslaved for 400 years, it sounds like punishment to Abram and his people, right? And it sounds like grace to the enemy nations, right? Oop but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Punishing the guilty while having compassion on Grace and Abram's people. Showing abounding loving kindness. As for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. And then, and then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Right there, you see the good Lord being both compassionate and punishing guilt. The Amorites will be in that land. That's God's grace on them. He didn't wipe them out at that moment. However, there is a limit to God's compassion and grace. There's a definite limit where the cup of God's wrath is full. The Amorites weren't there, but God knew that they would come to that day. So all of these, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving kindness, truth, punishing the guilty, they all describe God. And they must describe you. If you tend to be more compassionate, gracious, loving side, first, remember that you might have yourself fooled. There was a day that I thought I had a corner on the market of compassion. But I was wrong. I needed to learn a lot about compassion. I needed to learn a lot about loving people more and loving myself less. I still need to learn a lot about that. If you tend to be more compassionate and gracious, remember, you must also be true. Maybe you're thought of as compassionate and gracious because you fear man because you don't speak the truth. Telling the truth and being compassionate, they're not opposed to one another. 
you must also remember that eventually, one day, God is going to punish the wicked. So it's compassionate, it's gracious to warn people. And if you tend to be more on the side of not leaving the guilty unpunished, I get it. I sympathize. There are times when your children must be punished. Absolutely. But remember, the Lord does this perfectly. He punishes people perfectly. First, God punishes somebody if they are guilty. He knows whether they are or not. Whereas sometimes our judgment isn't so sure. So let's say there was a fighter argument at your house. You might believe that one was guilty and the other innocent simply depending on the shrill tone of the one who was offended. I could start calling out my kids' names, but you understand what I mean. But you know how manipulative we can get. The one who's crying foul may have been the one who was actually doing the provoking, right? Also remember that there are some kids in your family or in your class or coworkers on your team who always seem to be the one who get the bad rap. Always being the one found guilty. That might cloud your judgment in cases of determining who is guilty. You might say, well, obviously... It's this individual because they're the one who's always in trouble. Sure, they might be the ones who actually did the harm, the damage, generally speaking. But that might mean that you're always inclined to blame them as the scapegoat. If you tend more to not leaving the guilty unpunished, don't forget, God is also compassionate, Gracious, slow to anger, loving, and true. There are times when a child must be disciplined. Don't discipline in anger. Control yourself and get a sense of proportion. Don't fail to be compassionate and gracious. And don't be embittered against and cold toward the child you discipline. When you discipline, trust me, make it count. That's the point, to make it effective so they don't do it again. And yet at the same time, compassionately and graciously hug them and kiss them and rub their back and give them a cookie afterward. Often the kids who act up and lash out, often they're the ones most needing of your affection. Be affectionate with the troublemakers. Let them have it as they asked for it, and then be affectionate with them. It'll go a long way. Bless them with discipline, and then start new. Don't hold a grudge against them, and then shower them with love and affection. This wording where God describes himself, it's repeated all over the Old Testament. In Numbers 14... You might remember, when the people rebel, 
and God is ready to dispossess them. He's ready to destroy them. Moses intercedes for the people. And Moses reminds the Lord of these exact words. God, I know you want to destroy these people. I get it. They deserve it. But you did say this about yourself. You did say you're compassionate and gracious. In Deuteronomy 4, when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. What God is doing in our passage, Exodus 34, he is establishing his covenant with his people. Again, this is repeated over and over again throughout the Bible. Always in light of the people rebelling, turning away from God, forsaking God, these exact words are repeated. So when you sin, as you do, and when you are in despair, remind yourself of God's promises. Preach them to yourself. Some of you tend to despair more. Remember, this passage is about God settling His covenant with His people. They had just sinned against God terribly. And here God is, compassionate and gracious, ready to forgive and giving them His word again. Maybe one day I'll also preach through when Jacob hears about his brother Esau coming. If you've read the passage, how would you feel if you were Jacob and you hear that Esau is coming? He was, he was terrified. So what does Jacob do? He starts to tell God, God, remember, remember these promises. Remember, you're going to do this, that, and the other thing with me. Try to encourage himself and to remind himself that God was with him. Jacob knew that God would make good on his promise. We're talking about God. God is true, though every man is a liar. It's repeated in Nehemiah, in the Psalms, in the Minor Prophets, these words about God. And in Romans 2, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to, what does God's kindness lead us to? Repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Remember that when you're in discipline. Verse 7, it says, it says this, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Visiting the iniquity on the fathers. What is iniquity? Exactly. And for extra credit, this wording is also in the Ten Commandments. God being jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Which command is that? 
Do we know our Ten Commandments? Six? Try again. Three guesses and you're out. Well, the Ten Commandments don't contain 70. No idols. No idols. That's in the command, no idols. Command two. So, when a father sins, what happens to his children and grandchildren? Does it go good or badly for you when your father, your grandpa, your great-grandpa sin? And what a warning to fathers and grandpas and great-grandpas. There's a lot of weight on your shoulders. You may not sin and then shrug your shoulders and make light of it like it's no big deal. It does have ramifications. Every sin you commit, it has effects not only for you, but your children and children yet to be born. So be warned. You are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Of course, you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, we eagerly wait for that in glory with King Jesus in heaven. And when you do sin, confess your sins. We must be men, women, and children who confess our sins. It's always somewhat scary and humiliating to confess your sins, right? What will people think of me? But I'm telling you, confess your sins. And not just to God. Confess your sins to one another. The surest way for you to remain in your besetting sins, your pet sins, is to not confess them. And then you'll be plunged into even grosser sin. So go ahead. Keep silent about them. Keep your sins in the dark. Don't confess them, and it won't go well for you or for the children to come after you. You have besetting sins. We all do. Do you want to defeat them? Confess them regularly. As you sin, confess it. Find one individual to consistently confess your sins to. Sure, it's humiliating. That's the point. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions. What does conceal mean? He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. He who hides them. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. We keep coming back to that word. Hide your sins and you won't succeed. Why? Well, committing yourself to your pet sins, at the very least, it takes time. It takes your time. And so you're not going to succeed. You're giving yourself to sin. On the other hand, confess your sins and you will find what? You will find God's compassion. Only that's not what it says quite. It says, confess and what them? Forsake them. Confess and forsake your sins. So forsake your sins, abandon them, leave them behind, and run away from them. 
and the Lord will shower you with compassion. Two passages, Deuteronomy 7, and we are coming close to the end. Know therefore that the Lord, your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments, but repays those who hate Him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. One quick game of fill in the blank. Blank, we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the blank? Ah. If, if we confess. That's from 1 John 1, 9. God is compassionate and gracious towards you. You are a sinner against him. He knows everything you do. He knows everything you say, everything you think. And he's compassionate and gracious towards you. Remember, shouldn't we be compassionate and gracious toward one another and toward the least of these here? I've told some, maybe most, maybe all of you, God's kindness to us in giving us little Abel. When we heard about his heart halfway through Jessica's pregnancy, I've never cried like that. Jessica hasn't cried like that. But it has helped us to realize life truly is fragile. And our home is more patient, slower to anger, more compassionate, knowing that life is fragile and sometimes very short. I get the joy of hearing and seeing your prayer requests. Many times I see the prayer request that you will be more compassionate, gracious, tender, gentle with your children. And as we grow in godliness, we realize how often we're truly lacking in our compassion, and in our mercy and grace. So as we've read about who God declares himself to be, may this prove to be an encouragement and a rebuke and a guide to you this year in 2020 how you should be. And you kids who think, yeah, well, my dad and mom truly are lacking in all compassion. Let's just say I've heard and seen most or all of you in your less compassionate and gracious times. From the top down, from the bottom up, let's all remember who God declares himself to be and go and do likewise. All of us. In verse 8, Moses bowed low. You bet he bowed low. He humbled himself. Moses calls on God and asks God to remember his promises. 2019 is past and 2020 lies ahead. In 2020, let's be like God. Compassionate, gracious, 
slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and abounding in truth. Let's pray.